بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله النبي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى طيبين الطاهرين. We continue our discussion about Unit Four Prophethood and the main thing today is the characteristics of the prophets. So the book stresses on the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent to all nations prophets and messengers. The Quran is very clear in the verse 36 of chapter 16. We have sent, we have dispatched to all nations a messenger. To serve God and to avoid serving Tahut, which is the devil. So it doesn't say to every generation, but it says to every nation. So at least to every nation once maybe more than once a person has been sent to guide them and the main message also was tawheed not only as a theory but as a way of life to serve god which is the absolute truth the absolute goodness kindness beauty mercy and avoid serving the devil and be instruments and agents for the or in chapter 35, verse 24, you find something similar. We have sent you truthfully. We had few sessions on Haq in Akhlaq series in the Hose, and we explained the significance of haq. One of the things that you find is that sending prophets was bilhaq. Revelation was bilhaq. And delivery had to be bilhaq. Means with full observation of the truth. We have sent you with full observation of the truth to give the good news to Bashara and to warn, and then a general statement. So this was about the prophet, but a general statement. There has been no nation unless a warner has gone to them. So it means that, like the previous ayah, a messenger, a prophet, has been to all nations. Or in chapter 13, verse 7, Allah says, Those who disbelieve, they say, Why a sign has not been sent down to him from his Lord? As you know, 
sometimes the people who didn't want to believe, they just looking for some excuses. So sometimes they were demanding things which were not reasonable. For example, in the time of Prophet Musa, you know, they used to say, you know, some people used to say, uh, We don't believe in you unless we can see God visibly. Or, for example, sometimes, you know, they, used, they said to the prophets, you know, we don't believe in you unless we see the angels coming down or, you know, something happening. Or sometimes they said, you know, if what you say is right, ask God to send, a, you know, thunder and destroy us. You know, things which are not reasonable and if you want to believe why you want to be destroyed. <laughs> so, this is the beginning of the ayah. But the end of the ayah is what relates to our subject. You are a warner. And for every people, there has been a guide. And when we say here guide, we don't mean alim or teacher. According to the Quran, guide is the one who doesn't need to receive any education, any guidance. The one who is directly receiving guidance from God. If you are interested, uh, you can refer to some of the discussion we have had in lessons on Islamic beliefs. You know, the book is there. That the concept of hidayah in the Quran, in this sense, is something very special. In any case, there has been a guide to all nations. So, we are not talking about only Prophet Musa or Isa or Prophet Muhammad or Ibrahim. We are talking about a process that covered all humanity to all different corners of the world. The prophets were dispatched and their main focus was on asking people to choose a life of piety, a life of serving the truth, a life of dedication to God. And their main obstacle, if you want to summarize everything, of course there were more than one obstacle, but the main obstacle was ignorance. Jihala. And this is why you can say the main task also was education. You know, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu says, as I have said in the introduction of the book, that he says, I have been sent as a teacher to teach people. Uh, Socrates has a good idea that he says the root of all the problems is ignorance. Of course, Aristotle disagreed and said, you know, sometimes people may know something and still, you know, do bad things. And it is acceptable. But Again, this is also a kind of ignorance. Ignorance is either you don't know or you act as if you don't know. If you don't know what is right, this is jah. Also, if you know what is right, but still you act like the people who don't know, you don't act in accordance to your knowledge, this is also jah. In the Quran, you know, jah is both. So, the main task was to help people with respect to understanding, knowledge, ma'rifah. So, 
Few characteristics of the prophets need to be discussed here. We thought that the best uh, thing is to choose those things which are very fundamental. One of the most fundamental things about the prophets is that they were all human beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't send to us angels or other forms of beings like jinns, for example, to guide us. Allah has sent to us people from us. They are also human beings. For example, Surah 110, verse 18. Tell them, I am only a man like you. It's being revealed to me. Your Lord is one, whoever has the expectation of meeting his Lord should do righteous deeds and should not associate any partner to his Lord. I am a man like you. They didn't want to leave any chance for people thinking that they are either divine, they have a God, you know, kind of uh, existence, a divine reality, or Anything which is created by God, but not like human beings, like angels or jinn, whatever. No, we are human beings like you. Even, you know, uh, the Quran says that uh, when some people asked why God didn't send angels to us, the Quran says, if we were supposed to send guide to the angels, then we would have sent them angels. But we are going to send a guide to human beings. So they should be like human beings. And even if angels were going to come to human beings, they had to be like human beings. They had to go to the market. They had to go to the streets. They had to go to all the challenges of their life like us. Because, you know, if you think that the prophets were totally different in nature from us, then you think that they cannot be a good role model. Because you think that they were different. They didn't have, you know, desires like us. They didn't have pressures like us. They didn't have pain like us, suffering like us. They were just pure and, you know, in the world of the spirits. No. The prophets were human beings, but they were pure human beings. They were receiving revelation and guidance from God. So we should keep this common ground that we are all human beings. The next point is about the number of the prophets. As we said, God has sent prophets or messengers to all over the world, to all nations. How many? The Quran doesn't give us a number. The Quran mentions prophets by name, like 25 prophets are mentioned by name. The Quran says there are prophets that we have not mentioned and narrated their stories to you. This is also understandable from the Quran. So we know that there were more than 25. 
but how many? The main reason for believing that there were 124,000 prophets is hadith, not the Quran. Quran doesn't fix the number, but there is a hadith. For example, Abu Dhar narrates from Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that there were 124,000 prophets. Sometimes even uh, more than one prophet. You know, Prophet Musa and Harun lived together. Isa and Yahya lived together. Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq, they live together. Ya'qub and Yusuf live together. There were times that actually tens of the prophets live together. There is an incident in history that on one day, 70 prophets were killed in the Bani Israel. 70 prophets were killed just in the morning, early morning. The Quran refers to the murder of the prophets. So, these 124,000 prophets is not that, you know, one after the other. It can be one after the other, it can be one with the other, it can be few in the same place, it can be, you know, something like distribution to different places, but all together, 124,000 prophets. Those who are mentioned in the Quran, as I said, by name are 25. Among these 124,000 prophets that we call them Anbiya or Nabiyun, Nabiyin, if it is Raf, according to you know, uh, grammar, it can be Nabiyun or Nabiyin. And if it is Jama Mukassar is Anbiya, these are 124,000. But we have also Rasul or Mursal. And this is much more narrated, uh, much more uh, limited. It is 313. We have 313 messengers who are more kind of uh, special. All the prophets received revelation, but these 313, they received a message for themselves, for their time. Many prophets just preached what was revealed to other prophets before them. Among these 313, five are the most outstanding. What do we call them? Ulul'az. The Quran says, Fasbir kama sabara ulul azme min rusul This is something that inshallah we will talk about it, maybe hopefully this week or next week, in chapter 35, verse 46. We will have a discussion about ulul azm. But just for the time being, remember 124,000 Nabi, 313 Rasul, Five ulul azm min rasul among. So these are the select of the select. These are the people of great determination. Inshallah, we'll talk about it later. So, 
This is about the prophets. Now we want to talk about another concept which is related, and that is Sharia. Sharia. Sharia is used in different sense. Sometimes we mean by Sharia the whole religion. But Sharia in the sense of a pack, a code of law, a system of practical rulings. This is something that was not given to all prophets and all nations. What we can understand from the Quran is that the first prophet or the first messenger, because it's Nabi and Rasul, every Rasul is Nabi. The first Rasul that was given Sharia to convey to people was whom? Prophet Nuh. Shara'a lakum min ad-deen ma wassa bihi Nuhan. The first person that was given Sharia was Prophet Nuh. Al-Mizan explained this very clearly, very expressly. He says he was the first person to bring Sharia. And he says because before Nuh salam, there were some rules, there were some instructions, you know, like praying, you know, charity, this type of things. But to have a Sharia which covers different aspects of your life, beginning with, you know, issues about birth, marriage, you know, divorce, uh, transactions, you know, what to eat, what not to eat, in a kind of comprehensive, this was first introduced in the time of Prophet Nuh, alayhi salam. And then we had, you know, other sharai. These sharai, in essence, they are the same. But when it comes to practical rulings, there can be changes. Some of the things, for example, even you know, in Islam, don't be surprised. Don't say, for example, why God didn't prohibit everything for every nation, or didn't make obligatory everything for every nation. Now, don't be surprised. Even in Islam, which is the same, you know, one Sharia, single Sharia, you know, everything was not legislated in the first day. Many of obligations came when? In Medina. Some of the things were prohibited from the beginning, like not to murder, not to steal, not to do fornication, not to worship idols. These were from the beginning. But prohibition of drinking wine, alcohol, came later. Prohibition of gambling. So there is a gradual process. So within the same religion, there is a gradual process. For the whole humanity, there is a gradual process. But those things which were the most fundamental things were common for all. Like Tawheed, uh, avoiding shirk, avoiding killing, doing zul, I don't know, 
breaking your promises, not being loyal to your marriage. These are the things which were very common and universal. So, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send, send few sharia? The answer is, first of all, these are similar in essence. You can consider them as few sharia or you can consider them as few versions of one sharia. It's up to you. I prefer to say these are few versions of the same sharia. But why there are some changes for few things one is conditions were different in the time of musa salam, in the time of isa salam, conditions were not the same sometimes people were going more towards dunya so there was a need to take them more towards spirituality sometimes maybe people go more to spirituality and they focus so much that they forget dunya you have to bring them back to middle position there are lots of changes that happen what is important is that humanity should reach a point that would be able to receive a package which then would be universal if people in the past were not able to either receive or to preserve two things Either their understanding was not that much that they could receive a very comprehensive package or they were not able to preserve. It was going to be lost. Sometimes, you know, books were lost. How many of the books are there now? Sometimes they were lost. Sometimes they were distorted or misunderstood, misinterpreted. So Allah had to send again. But when humanity reaches the point that they can receive and preserve a comprehensive package that has in itself the potential of adopting also itself to the new conditions with keeping principles in place, then there is no need for sending new Sharia. Please read the book Lessons on Islamic Beliefs. Uh, the end of the discussion about imam, a prophethood, beginning of imam. A few pages I have explained what is the plan of God in sending different religions and then why God, in the time of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, had the plan of completing the process of revelation. There is no revelation coming after the Prophet. He's Khatamun Nabiyin. But then the job of teaching people in an infallible way was continued by imams. After the Prophet, we don't need a new book to come. We don't need a new revelation to come. But we need to make sure that we have proper understanding of the revelation which has been given to Prophet Muhammad and that is through imam. Please read end of the unit on prophethood and beginning of imam from the book Lessons on Islamic Beliefs. So, why God has sent different prophets? Because he wanted to send to all nations and they had to remind people to teach them again. Why different shara'i? Because situations were varying or people were forgetting or were changing their sharia. There was a new for uh, a new uh, refreshment. But then finally, we reached a point that 
we can give people a package that will be able to guide them throughout the centuries. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in chapter Ahzab, which is chapter 33, verse 40 says, Rasulullah is not father of any of your men. Because as you know, Rasulullah didn't have a son who remained. His son, you know, died during his life. So the relation between Rasulullah and you is the same relation. It's not that someone says, you know, Rasulullah uh, is my father and I am his son. No, all many Muslims are like sons of the Prophet. Of course, through Lady Fatima, Rasulullah has children, progeny, but no one has a son, direct son for Rasulullah. Walakin Rasulullah is what? Walakin Rasulullah Prophet Muhammad is the messenger of God and the last, the seal of the prophets. Because he is the last prophet, certainly he is also the last Rasul. Because every Rasul is a prophet. You know, if someone says, yes, he is Khatamul Nabiin, but maybe not Khatamul Mursalim, say it doesn't make sense. Because every Rasul is also Nabi. Okay, and Khatam is the object by which you end something. You know, in Arabic, if you know Sarf, we have two terms which are similar. One is Khatim and one is Khatam. Khatim is Ismifa'il, like Khatib, Jalis. Khatam, khatam means what ends something. But khatam is fa'al, means what you can end with, not the one who ends. Something by which you can end. Okay, it's like a kind of instrument. So khatam means ma yukhtamu something by which you end. It was very commonly used and still is used khatam for the seal that they used to put, you know, on the, the letters. Okay, like a stamp. They had a seal and when they finished the letter, they put it there. That is also called khatam. Because it's end of the letter. After that, nothing else will be written. You know, if someone adds something to the letter, they realize that this is not original. It's fake. Because the person has sealed it. So, Rasulullah is khatam. It means that Allah, with sending him, finished the process of sending prophets. So, this is about the last prophet. And then there is a discussion here about nasr. A very important discussion. Abrogation. Sometimes we use Nasr for a particular ruling. If you study Fiqh and Usul al-Fiqh, you see it also in Tafsir, you know, when we reach some Ayat al-Ahkam, some verses that relate to Fiqh, you see that some rulings were abrogated even inside Islam. They were 
first revealed for a period of time, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed it. For example, in the beginning, Muslims were not allowed to defend themselves. They didn't have permission of even defensive jihad. Defensive jihad was not permitted. Then, the ayah was revealed, if I am not mistaken, I think it's the verse 40 of Surah Hajj, if I'm not mistaken. Allah says, now permission is given for the believers who were fought, means other people are killing them, fighting against them. They can defend themselves. Why? Because zulim, they have been done, uh, you know, dealt with injustice. They have been received injustice. So there was a time that defensive even jihad was not there, then defensive jihad was permitted. Or for example, there was a time that Allah asked as a test, asked the believers when they want to whisper to the Prophet to do najwa, they should give first sadaqah. Then the only one who was giving sadaqah and whispering to Rasulullah was Amir al-Mu'mini. Other people were not giving sadaqah. So this stopped, but it showed that some people you know, were not very much listening. Or for example, there was a time that Muslims were supposed not to have marital relation in the months of Ramadan, even during the nights. And then that also stopped. So we have cases that a rule came for some time and then the permanent rule came. You know, sometimes we make a temporary decision and then we bring the final one. And it is interesting if you do a study of the books of Ayatollah Akam, you see that normally the first also verses indicate that this is temporary. There is a very, you know, implicit indication that this is going to finish. For example, sometimes it says, Hatta ya'ti Allahu Till Allah brings his affair, you know. It, mean, it shows somehow that it is not forever. So, sometimes we have abrogation here in the same religion. Sometimes we have abrogation between two sharia. For example, something maybe was legislated in time of Nuh. When the next prophet who had sharia came, some of those rules may have been abrogated. New rulings may have come. Or something maybe was a previous shara'id and Islam abrogated. So it can be in one religion, it can be between two sharia. There is also a third idea, and that is something I you know, like you to listen carefully, about a religion coming and abrogating the entire previous revelations or religion. Some people have this misunderstanding that they think if a new book comes, previous books are all now invalid. All the prophets are invalid. You know, their time, their role, their teaching, everything is expired. This is not the concept. 
as we said, the essence remained the same. Even many basic and fundamental rules remain the same. But people are supposed to always update themselves with the last messenger of God, with the last person who comes and talks to them on behalf of God. So you cannot say, I am happy with what I have. I don't want any further revelation or any further guidance from God. You know, like, for example, of course, this is just an example. You know, for example, if someone says, I am happy with my marja, and even if my marja dies, and, you know, there is a marja who is now alive and, you know, functioning, he's alam, I don't want. I want to just continue. This doesn't make sense. Even if you want to continue, you have to have permission from the living marja. And if, if your living marja doesn't give permission, you have to just go to the living marja. Because you cannot get stuck. You have to always come up with the time. But the issue of marja'iyah is even more simple than prophets. When God has sent you a new prophet, a new sharia, you cannot say to God, you know, I'm happy with, you know, whatever you have given me before. <laughs> Please, you know, don't ask me to follow the new one. Because then it becomes a matter of convenience. You say, you know, I'm already used to this. I don't want you know, to change. So, we respect all the books. We respect all the teachers that Allah has sent for humanity. We believe in them. آمَنَ الرَّسُولِ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ كُلٌّ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُولِهِ We have to believe in God and all His books and all His messengers. But as I said, we have always to update ourselves with the latest revelation coming from God. Not by saying that we have 100% and now it is uh, what they have is zero. No, it's a matter of being updated. Maybe 90% can be the same when it comes to aqa'id, when it comes to the basics, we are the same. But those details, which are also very important, they have to be uh, remembered and we have to make sure that we always appreciate the gift of God in the form of uh, revelation. The next thing about the characteristics of the prophets is their knowledge. The prophets are responsible for guiding humanity. And this is not something easy. You know, human beings are very complicated and very sophisticated. And they have also sophisticated, you know, situations in their life. Every human being is very complex. Our life is also very complex. So it makes it really, really difficult to be able to guide people without having guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's almost impossible to do anything you know, fundamental or serious without this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for our benefit, has equipped His prophets with what? With a special knowledge, a kind of God-given knowledge that we call it ilm al-ladunni. Ladunni means a knowledge from God. Do you know why they coined this term? 
they were inspired by this ayah. Chapter 18, verse 65. This is a story of Musa and Khidr. فَوَجَدَ عَبْدًا مِنْ عِبَادِنَا آتَيْنَاهُ رَحْمَةً مِنْ عِنْدِنَا They found a servant of us that we have given him mercy from us. وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا عِلْمًا We taught him from ourselves. This is a knowledge which is not coming through a school, through hose, through books, through teacher. This is a knowledge which is coming directly from God. It is immune, it is infallible. And this is why then we can fully trust the Prophet. Inshallah, in future, we will talk about infallibility more. And also, in the next session, Inshallah, we will talk about the possibility of some people having this knowledge. Because some people who don't understand the Quran, they say, Al is only for God. No one can know anything, you know, about the, the world of unseen, anything extra. But Inshallah, Based on the Quran, we will prove that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has equipped some of his servants with a special knowledge, not conventional knowledge, a special knowledge about the unseen, about you know some of the things that we don't have any access to them. Allah has made them available of that. So I stop here, inshallah we continue next week. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Yes.